America, and welcome from a very soggy, swampy Washington. And I'm not talking just about all the political corruption and ethics and follow the money uh, controversies we have in the city. It actually really rained here a lot. We've got this tropical storm that came through today, and uh, we're canoeing down our streets. It's a lot of rain, a lot of water. Makes it feel even more swampy than normal in D.C. Thank you for joining us on John Solomon Reports. We've got a great show today. Uh, I'm going to skip my normal monologue and do something a little special. Uh, we did some really great investigative work at Just the News overnight. My colleague, Seamus Bruner, you may remember him because he came on the show a couple days ago uh, to talk about the book he and I co-wrote, Fallout, the Russian uh, nuclear bribes, Russian spies, and Washington lies that enriched the Clinton and Biden dynasties. He helped me research all of the amazing facts in that book. Well, he's been following the money in the racial justice sphere. We've got Black Lives Matters. We've got, um, you know, all the outrage over George Floyd. We can go back to Ferguson. We can go back to the Florida shootings. Well, one persistent figure on television, on the front lines of politics, has been Reverend Al Sharpton. Uh, and we took a look at his tax-exempt nonprofit charity. And it turns out, well, he's getting a lot of money on the side of this charity uh, as much as one in every eight dollars that goes to the charity went into Al Shopton's pocket in the last tax year that we have records for 2018, a fourfold increase. The guy paid himself seven figures out of his charity in 2018. Uh, what seems like the business of racial justice is a pretty lucrative business personally, at least for Al Sharpton. We compare that to some of the other great figures in the racial justice sphere, and you'll find out that Al Sharpton is, well, above average when it comes to how much he's putting in his wallet. Uh, that's a great one. So we're going to stay tuned in a second. We're going to have Seamus Bruner here. Also, Congressman Andy Biggs, the uh, chairman of the House Conservative Caucus. Uh, he has been, um, uh, he replaced Mark Meadows, who obviously is now President Trump's chief of staff. He's here to talk about school reopenings. And will we ever see indictments in the uh, John Durham investigation and so much more, all the dysfunction going on inside of Congress uh, these next couple of days. Congressman Andy Biggs is going to bring us up to speed on all of that. But first, we're going to go to a commercial break. Remember, please support our sponsors, our advertisers. They're wonderful people, and they make what we do at Just the News, the investigative work you're about to hear from Seamus Bruner and the uh, great podcasting and interviews we get to do on uh, John Solomon Reports. We're so grateful for these incredible sponsors, these incredible supporters. And if you want to support us, the best way to do that is to support them. Buy their products, subscribe to their services, let them know that uh, you love them for loving us. All right, we're going to go to that commercial break like promised when we come back. Seamus Bruner and the very cash-wealthy trail to Al Sharpton's wallet. Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, 
liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, uh, my co-author in the recent book, Fallout, the bestseller on Amazon. We're very proud to welcome back Seamus Bruner today. Seamus, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you, John. Thanks. Uh, well, we're, we're so appreciative that you're doing so many great things for us here at Just the News. So this morning, uh, I want to just set this up for our listeners. We had a great story by Seamus that went through the tax records of uh, Reverend Al Sharpton's uh, nonprofit um, racial justice organization, and you found something pretty unique as the uh, since Ferguson, essentially, uh, Al, uh, Al Sharpton's been uh, getting a, a more and more lucrative compensation package each year. What'd you find out? Yeah, that's right. So uh, we went to, all the way back to 2003, uh, pulled the National Action Networks, that's Al Sharpton's 501C charity, non tax exempt entity, 501C4. And uh, back in 2003, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton was making just $93,000 a year, a pretty modest salary. Uh, 2006, he made 4000 And when he was doing a, you know, his presidential runs, he took no money. Um, but then he kind of settles in in 2009 at $250,000 a year. And for the next five years or four, let's see, five years from 09 to 13, he's making 241 approximately. And then we see a huge spike after the year 2013. And that is really when the Black Lives Matter movement was founded uh, in the wake of uh, the Trayvon Martin shooting and the George Zimmerman, especially after the George Zimmerman acquittal, is when uh, this Black Lives Matter movement was founded, the hashtag Black Lives Matter. And, and Al Sharpton really shows up at a lot of the funerals for these, you know, these are tragic incidents with these young right. men and women who are um, in some cases, I mean, it's not not all of the deaths were at the hands of the police, but really Al Sharpton made that his bread and butter. From there, making 250, he jumps up 70% to 40,000. And by 2018, his salary is over a million dollars. And it's just a really, really sh uh, sharp increase. And uh, it kind of tracks along with the National Action Network's rallies. They hold these events. He is, at, you know, with Spike Lee and um, others at these rallies kind of, you know, shouting about the injustice. Uh, so we looked at other charities as well, comparable charities. Uh, we've got Reverend Jesse Jackson's charity. We've got moveon.org. Um, and, and another, and another one that this, the executives are just not paid nearly as much as Reverend Sharpton. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, right? I mean, you go through and take a look at some of the other, leaders in the racial justice uh, space. And uh, Al Sharpton is uh, two, three times uh, larger in compensation. And so it's a reminder to us all that when we see someone on TV and they're doing something that feels nonprofit and um, uh, good in, in nature, and Al Sharpton obviously has been a fixture in certainly New York politics for 30, 40 years, 
national politics, certainly for 10 or 20 years, uh, there's a uh, component that we often don't see unless we go and get these tax records, these 990 tax records. And that is, at least for Al Sharpton's case, uh, being um, for uh, racial justice is also good for his wallet book uh, or his wallet or his checkbook. Um, these are big numbers. I mean, when you get a million dollars compensation in in one year, you're in the category of, you know, corporate CEOs. That's what two times what the president makes. Um, and, you know, four times what, uh, four to six times what lawmakers make. So um, what did you find out um, as Al Sharpton's salary was and compensation was growing? Uh, it looks like his group was also getting a lot more uh, donations. This has been a good time for him in the fundraising sphere as well, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, they, they talk about it on their web, on the website, the National Action Network. Uh, you know, another record year just within these last few years, another record year of fundraising. So they were they were pulling in, you know, right around four million in the 2009 10 range. And that has jumped up to uh, nearly eight million in the last year available, which is 2018. And, and uh, Reverend Sharpton has been very active uh, on the George Floyd memorial service circuit they you know they had the sure. five five ceremonies and he was at least at two of them delivering a eulogy um so it, it's uh, they're on they're on pace to probably have another record year in 2019 and 2020 now i became a journalist because i wasn't good at math but let's let's do the math here quickly see if i got this right so his fundraising went up double but his compensation went up 4x is that is that right exactly so the the this, and and the and seven million is uh, you know that's a lot of money for a nonprofit, but there's many nonprofits that make much much more, uh, and their executives aren't paid nearly as much. So you're right. Uh, the 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 revenues to the national network uh, national action network uh, did not quite double, nearly doubled, but his salary went up four times. So his salary is going up much higher, at a much faster pace than the national action networks. It's a good business if you can get it. I guess that's uh, <clears throat> quite a quite a compensation package. Um, uh, the in the in the last year that we have visible so far, they have not filed or made available to the public yet the 2019 tax returns, right? So we're looking for that. But uh, 2018, which would have been filed last year uh, for the tax year purposes, uh, is there any explanation why it jumped? You know, from the four or five hundred thousand range to a million there. Did they throw any sweeteners in uh, last year? Yeah, so it's a little gray where how all where all the money comes from, but it's the New York Post did a good report on how the National Action Network actually paid Al Sharpton for the movie rights. They paid him half a million dollars in 2018 for the book deal and movie rights to his his life story. Um, have they made they, that movie they or written that book yet? Reverend Al Sharpton is is worth this much money. But it's you know it's not clear if or when they'll ever see a return on those rights. So that that was another chunk of cash that went to Reverend Sharpton. It's not clear if that's part of his salary or if that was actually an additional bonus. Which if it were a bonus, that would be uh, you know even higher than a million. So and to date we haven't seen that book or that movie. Is that correct? That's correct. So he gets an advance on a non-existent book, <clears throat> at least as of now. Because it's two years since the, that payment was allegedly made, and we haven't seen the, that movie from the movie rights. So, 
Uh, these are the sort of things that we try to do at Just the News, which is to go through documents that most time, most people don't have time to go through, the, the 990 tax reform, returns and other documents that organizations like Al Sharpton's file. Um, when you look back at this now, uh, how do you think this will play, the, the, this revelation will play, first in the black community that has held um, Reverend Sharpton to such uh, in great revere for many years for all of his activism and then in the larger NGO world, I mean, does do people just yawn at these salaries now, or is the compensation of not-for-profit uh, players becoming more and more concerning? Yeah, I think uh, we as Americans of, of all backgrounds are are very suspicious of you know people with their hands in the till, people on the take. That that goes for politicians and. And for nonprofit directors, I mean, people think, uh, you know, if it's a nonprofit, if it's a charity, you're supposed to be working for the good of the people. And when they see someone making over a million dollars a year, I mean, no one in these communities that Al Sharpton is going into and delivering eulogies and speeches and, and really, I mean, he he's a, he's a divisive, divisive guy. He's on MSNBC. He's always accusing, uh, you know, the other side, conservatives of being racists. Um, when somebody's getting rich and he's going into these communities where nobody makes a million dollars a year, I think it, it just it has a distasteful feel about it. Yeah, no, I think that's what will be interesting to watch over the next couple of days. What will people uh, dig in and are, are there other things to learn about how he does this? I mean, basically one eighth of all the money that was donated for racial justice to uh, to uh, Al Sharpton's group went into his pocket. I mean, that, that's, that's just to put that in perspective. And so uh, that's a big percentage of overhead uh, for a single figure. And obviously his organization relies on his personality, I'm sure for fundraising and for activism, but in a, in a charitable world, that seems to be, well, quite charitable for, for Al Sharpton's personal wallet. So uh, Seamus, uh, thank you for joining us. First, thank you for doing the great work that you're doing at Justin News. We're so lucky. You you are, I've said this in the last time you're on the show, uh, one of the greatest investigative reporters I've ever had the pleasure to work with and being able to you know, take on these Herculean tasks that other people don't want to go through, all the tax records. You know, it's, that's tedious gumshoe work, but uh, you help us create a form of transparency and we are, we are so, so grateful. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure, John, and uh, just a little teaser for, for your audience. We're going to keep following the money to Sharpton. We got a tip to go check into the amount of money he's actually given to the families, if any. And so uh, I think there's going to be a few more really interesting bombshells in the Sharpton world coming soon. I think that's great. Listen, this is old-fashioned watchdog journalism. Follow the money. Hold people accountable. That's why these tax forms have been made public. And uh, we requested the Al Sharpton 2019 at least five, six days ago, correct? That tax form? Yes, yes. It, it was over. It was now. Today is the fifth day. So if we don't hear back, uh, they, I mean, they may right. have. Under the law, they have to, to meet it by they today, may, correct? They may have gotten to t uh, filing time here in 2020 for the year 2019. And right as COVID hit, now they're maybe delaying uh, the filing. So they may have an excuse, but uh, we'll be sure, sure to update the, the audience when we, when we hear back. Well, that's great. That's old-fashioned, uh, steadfast journalism, following the money and staying on it. So, Seamus, again, thank you for all you're doing for Just the News. I know all of our listeners at John Solomon Reports are thrilled to have had a chance to hear from you firsthand how you put this story together. And um, we'll be on this uh, on this uh, cash front uh, looking for more uh, follow-the-money stories. So thanks again. We'll be right back in a few minutes, folks. We're going to go to commercial break. 
And then we will have a surprise guest, the head of the conservative uh, wing of the Republican House uh, is joining us in a few seconds, Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss that interview. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest indeed. Congressman Andy Biggs returns to the show. Congressman, good to have you back. Thanks, John. Good to be with you always. Well, we're so so grateful you're joining us. I know how busy it is up on the hill. But uh, I've been watching your Twitter and your TV appearances and your uh, press releases the last few days. And you're really uh, drilling down on, on the crisis that is awaiting Americans' family, grandmothers, parents, children, who aren't going to get back to in-person school this fall. Tell us what you're learning and uh, what concerns you most about the dynamic you're seeing in the, in the public school systems right now. Well, there's so much to get at, John. I mean, uh, on the personal level, I talk to, to folks, you know, where sometimes it's the grandparents, sometimes it's the parents, and actually sometimes it's the students themselves. They want their children back in schools and they want them to learn. They feel like they've, I mean, that there's already been delay, uh, and, and parents have told me, said, you know, without that structure, it's, it's harmful to the kids. And, um, it, it really is. I mean, the American Academy of Pediatricians has, has talked about that as well. So I hear this from the parents and grandparents and from student, students, but I also see it in the data that's out there. For instance, in Arizona, we have, we now have an increase in our suicide hotline by over a hundred percent. Uh, in the last uh, two months or so, which is something I suppose you you, sh- you could expect. We've seen increased uses of, of drugs and alcohol. Uh, uh, domestic violence has, has spiked here, just gone way up. And a lot of that is is the school thing. So when I start looking at the schools, and um, by the way, John, just so you know, the unions here are giving a six-day uh, six uh, uh, primer on how the the, the teachers can try to put pressure on the governor to not reopen schools, including no fake obituaries, et cetera. But, but what I, what I really think is we, this is an opportunity to just say, we're going to empower parents and we're going to put the money that we would normally give to schools, uh, 12, $13,000 per pupil. And we're just going to say to each parent, you get the choice because there are charter schools that are ready to open in Arizona that want to open. There are private schools that want to open and there are even schools that have had success with some virtual, uh, virtual success that that want to open, and they're fighting this entrenched battle. And uh, you know that it's clear the risk is greater outside of school for children than it is being in school. Yeah, that's really the part of the argument that no one is talking about, right? Everyone's got the COVID fears and the teacher fears, but uh, the longer they stay out, the worse the risk is. Now today. I saw Dr. Anthony Fauci saying there's no reason we can't open the schools 
safely. Uh, does that give you some confidence that at least there's a voice now joining President Trump on the medical side trying to push this? Well, since it's Dr. Fauci, it makes me wonder if I should rethink my position. But I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. I'm just, I'm just yes, joking. I know, I know you're not but, a big fan. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the reality is doctors uh, have been saying that and scientists uh, and research have, uh, have been saying that literally for months now. And, right. and so we've got to understand that literally CDC has said the, the, the fatality, case fatality rate of a, of a youngster uh, with COVID is literally one in a million. And that is, that is less risk than a normal seasonal flu. Um, wow. they're, uh, they're at less risk of transmitting the disease. They're, um, at less risk of actually getting the disease and have any kind of serious complication. And, uh, that is the data. That is the science. And so for Dr. Fauci to come along, I, I, I wish you'd have been there two months ago, three months ago when we were really seeing the foreseeing that we need to be moving this way i'm glad he's there um but uh the the arguments against this um basically are saying it's gone from uh you know let's make sure that the risk is mitigated and this is this is that we're good to go to to making an argument that we have to have absolute safety where no one will ever catch this this COVID. it is it is impossible to do that we need to face that fact and uh, assess the risk of keeping kids out. Yeah, no, that's really it. I, you had a tweet a couple of days ago, and I'm I don't, I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember verbatim, but it, it was something to the effect of it's time to lead with science and data and not fear and misconception. And I think that um, that's the part that it's so interesting, particularly the television, maybe the television networks do this, but the data shows an extraordinary safe scenario for children in schools. Uh, and yet you would never tell if you turned on CNN or MSNBC or, you know, the nightly news that that data is so clear. How do you how do you go around the media? How do you cut through some of the, the fear mongering that's going on and get these decisions made on science and data and not on fear mongering? Well, we, we do what we're trying to do. Like I'm talking to responsible uh, journalists like yourself uh, right now who who respect the science and the data. We, we put it on our social media. I do, I do my right. own series of podcasts. I, I contact uh, government officials trying to get them to see and look at the data. Their own data, by the way, John. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making my That's own right. data up. I'm taking their data. It's not your own data. data. It's their data. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is what your data shows. I mean, so, so if most of your teachers in Arizona, which they are between the ages of 20 and 44, um, the, the, you, they might catch the disease, but to have a serious complication is is just slightly more than nil. Um, the case fatality rate for those, those folks is also far less than a seasonal flu, a seasonal flu issue. So, but they they don't want to hear that. And there are ways that you can mitigate the risk. And so what we do is we just preach um, almost like a one note piano, wherever we can, whenever we can. Uh, say, look at the data, look at the facts. And, and then you see some weird things. I mean, like uh, the, the Dutch head doctor, I don't know if you saw this this morning, he came out and said, look, we, we've determined that masks have no effect uh, yeah, on, on, on slowing the spread. Yeah. So, so you've got, you, so you, let's have the debate. I mean, I've asked, I've asked, let's, let's not just have Fauci and Burks up there. Let's, let's bring in some other doctors who are considered well-known epidemiologists, virologists, who can come in and actually um, provide a different interpretation of the, of the data. 
And uh, that would be really good. Yeah, I think that's part of it, which is that we haven't allowed. Uh, there seems to be uh, a censorship of anyone's voice that isn't the towing the line of the prevailing advice, which, by the way, from our CDC and our NIH and Dr. Fauci has flip-flopped maybe seven or eight times over the course of this crisis. Uh, but I think dissenting voices, and especially when we don't know as much as, as we don't know about COVID, it seems like dissenting voices or other voices would be helpful than the, the monolithic uh, up and down advice we've been getting from our own government. It's a really interesting, um, uh, really interesting dynamic that the censorship that's going on. You um, you've talked a lot. And I know as, as a conservative, you, you really worry about this dynamic that's growing more and more about um, government picking winners and losers. And I think in COVID, you, you've really begun to see that you see, uh, you know, a, a church can't open, but a Walmart can with twice as many people or, uh, you know, protesters are OK to have their protests, but um, uh, you can't uh, have a haircut. What do you think? Um, what is the, the what's driving these sort of winners and losers sort of approach to regulation of COVID? And how do we reverse it? If you're if you're concerned about it, if you're a libertarian like yourself and you care, you care about civil uh, liberties, how do we get out of the this rut that we're in with with? you know, locking people down. Well, you, you really put your finger on one of the biggest issues here, and it's a constitutional crisis. And that is the, the kind of the tyrannical approach that uh, an authoritarian approach that some of these governors and mayors have, have taken. And they've, they have identified uh, certain businesses. I mean, the marijuana dispensary stays open, but by golly, you can't go, you can't go to church. As you said, you can have a riot, but you can't, you can't have a, a worship service. Uh, and certainly can't go to school. In fact, in Arizona, one of the most interesting contradictions is um, we're not going to open up in-person schools, but since we've got a lot of kids who will have no place to go as parents begin to start going back to work, we're going to open up the schools to, to effectively be um, kind of a daycare. They can The kids can come there, but they, they can't be taught. I mean, so that's, that's a, a weird dichotomy. Wow. Um, and so... That sure is. That, that's a head scratcher. <laughs> that's a head scratcher. So... Uh, what I'm seeing, and, and, and this is important because this is happening in Arizona, uh, you're seeing uh, these folks that are being discriminated against taking their cases to the courts. And that sometimes that's that's all that's left. And so uh, you, you've got businesses that are that where, where owners are losing everything. Uh, they've, maybe they've mortgaged their house or leveraged their retirement to open a business. And then they're, they're told they've got to shut down. But, you know, they've, they've got bills to pay. They lose employees. They lose their their business and they're banding together and they're taking these odd um, dichotomies, these, these uh, situations and they're, they're bringing lawsuits. Sometimes uh, they're, right. they're losing, right. but I think, I think some of them are winning throughout the country and that is one way. The other way is to keep preaching to my, my colleagues in Congress and at the state level, because a lot of these decisions are made at the state level, John, and, and uh, advocate that these legislatures come in and try to intervene um, uh, with legislative measures to to rein in this these inconsistencies, that, these tyrannies that are going on. It's amazing. I I, um, I was talking. Uh, I guess it was over the weekend with a, a, a very democratic, lifelong liberal uh, restaurant owner, and he said that he was he was rethinking his own thoughts because uh, or rethinking his own values because he's watched the power of the state lock down law abiding citizens. And then turn around and allow lawlessness in our streets. And 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 he said, if if a thousand people can burn and throw things at uh, federal officers and 
tear down our city and uh, paint graffiti on the White House. Uh, uh, why can't I open my restaurant when I abide by the same restrictions as a Walmart that's allowed to open or something else? And I, that sentiment of the big state controlling law-abiding people and then allowing the lawless to uh, to run rampant over the over the town. Is that a dynamic that you think everyday Americans are beginning to see? And, and how does it play into the election debate we're all going to have over the next 90 days? Yeah, uh, John, I think there is a, st- a strong undercurrent of that uh, that's going on. Now, I, I recognize that I'm, I, I live and work in an echo chamber uh, a lot of the time, but I do hear that from folks and I'm hearing from people that normally wouldn't relate that type of thing to me. Um, yeah. I do hear, from, I mean, there's another side of it where people yell and scream at me and saying, you're, you're killing people because you want to open up the economy and et cetera. Right. And that's there. And I, and I respect that they have the right to think that, but there's a bigger undercurrent and it is coming from people like you just talked about um, restaurant owners in Arizona. We, we could lose 25 to 40% of all restaurants in this state because wow. of the way they've I mean, been gone handled. forever. Huh? Oh yeah. Gone, gone for all time. And, oh my gosh. Uh, this, yeah, just think about that. And so people begin to, to look at that and they think, uh, if you're if you're in L.A., I get calls from people from L.A. Now I realize some of them may may already be with me, but 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 they're talking about, look, how does this work where you're letting murderers and violent criminals out on the streets so they don't get COVID? But if I go to a beach and I put my feet in wet sand, I can be arrested uh, uh, for violating governor's orders or how do you yeah. put black uh, a black baby's lives matter? You're chalking that, uh, and you can be arrested for doing that. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you, I think there's a tremendous undercurrent right now where people are, are, are doing reflection on what, how did we get to this spot? How did we get to this spot? It, it is a remarkable uh, moment, and uh, I can only imagine what our founding fathers must be thinking looking down from above. But uh, for those listeners who don't uh, didn't catch that last reference, there was an arrest over the weekend in the Washington, D.C. by the Metropolitan Police Department of a couple of anti-abortion protesters who wrote in chalk on the sidewalk. So it's not even graffiti. It washes off with the rain. It's probably gone by now, thanks to the, the, the wash that we just got from the tropical storm um, uh, that uh, black baby lives matter and they were arrested meanwhile many of the people who spray painted the church across from the white house or painted the mural on the uh, street called black lives matter uh, have not faced any such repercussions and i think it goes back to this question that you were just drilling down on so eloquently congressman that the unequal protection there's like two standards uh, one for everyday citizens and every, uh, another for lawless um rioters and I wonder uh, if if that will come out in an election in ways that we're not yet prepared to see in the vote. Yeah, I I, I wonder that as well, um, because uh, while I think everyday Americans feel that and they see that and they wonder what's going on, I think that there's this tremendous left wing media presence, which uh, can and the, look the Democrats in Congress still refuse to acknowledge that uh, what was going on in Chaz was a violent riot or what you know that any of this was violent rioting they they they're still calling this these peaceful protests john i mean and i think people who look at it my favorite was when the you have the cnn uh uh reporter and there's a building going up in flames behind him and he's talking about the peaceful protest i i'm curious to see how that plays out in the election because i do think uh going getting back to spiro agnew who coined uh, the term uh, uh, silent majority 
I, right? I do think there's people out there that are cowed that there is a silent majority. Yeah, I, I definitely see it uh, in just talking. I was out in Wisconsin and Connecticut, two kind of you know blue-leaning states. Connecticut, really a blue state. Uh, Wisconsin, a purple state, probably, thanks to Donald Trump's win there a few years ago. And, of course, Scott Walker was a Republican governor for a long time. But uh, there's just a general common sense frustration with this idea that there's a double standard in America. And they see it from everything. They see it from, you know, the difference between Andy McCabe and Mike Flynn. One, Andy McCabe doesn't get uh, indicted for lying. Mike Flynn does. And it turns out that he hadn't even really lied materially about something the FBI cared about because they knew the answer. And then, they, you know, they see it in the streets. They see it in, in the churches when the church can't open, but a, a Walmart can and uh, it feels to me like this is a, a, an undercurrent issue that may just suddenly rear its head on, on election days in ways that we haven't seen. Um, when, I'm, when I'm looking out now, and uh, uh, we've been watching almost every week, there's been a new bombshell revelation on the, the Russia case. And you've been an eloquent voice from the very beginning, one of the first lawmakers, along with Devin Nunes and Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, um, uh, Lindsey Graham, to really focus on um, the uh, the amount of wrongdoing, the spying, the 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 using of the law enforcement intelligence apparatus to carry out a dirty trick on a rival party. Uh, do you have a level of confidence, or uh, that at the end uh, before election day, that we will see the sort of accountability that will scare people off from doing this in the future? Well, John, I I, I remain hopeful, but. Um cynical let me put it that <laughs> let's just put it this sure. way i believed a year ago um that that something would would be was imminent and i was told right. probably a year ago that any day now something will be coming out and nothing ever has and uh, i just heard this a week ago that something is imminent and i still don't believe i, I, <laughs> I know it should be it should right. be but uh I, it's it's not happening if and i will just tell you if 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 the mindset is now that well we've gone so far and we're just we're just a few months out from the election that we should we should wait till after the election that's as tampering with the election as much as releasing this now you you that's have to release point. this stuff because it's the truth this stuff is the truth and if you can't reveal the truth and bring the indictments out there that need to come out then i i don't even know why you do it i don't know why you engage why they engage in this investigation they have to bring right. it out. Let the chips fall where they may. It's almost numbing to think we're about to have the 2020 election and we still haven't punished the people who tampered in the 2016 election. And um, it's 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 remarkable, especially because of the hard work that people like you and Jim Mark Jordan and Mark Mez, you guys really fought to extract from a very uh, determined bureaucracy not to give up this information. You, you extracted these really remarkable revelations. I mean, it's not in doubt that the FBI was spying on Trump and they were doing so because they got dirt from Hillary Clinton's team and uh, and they knew the dirt was bogus and they continued to do it anyways. It's not even in doubt anymore. It's in the open. When um, when history looks back at this period and they look at this, you know, the era of Trump and, you know, Trump's doing all these things that he promised to do. He builds the wall. He gets the economy roaring. Uh, the Republicans give an extraordinary task break, uh, a tax uh, break to Americans. And you have this extraordinary regulatory relief, which clearly... Uh, excites the economy in ways that we hadn't seen in 10 or 20 years. Uh, you have all that going on, and then you have this all this foolishness going on on the other side where you have riots and you have um, uh, impeachments that don't go anywhere, that are predetermined to fail, uh, and then a fake Russia collusion scandal. 
how will history look back at this window of time and, 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 and judge us all for what we've just been through? Well, I think they're going to be somewhat uh, uh, bemused and condemnatory, actually. I mean, because um, I, I think in the future, people looking like us, when we look back, we say, you know, you have things going well, uh, pretty well. It's not perfect, but why would you tank all that? Why would you, why would you use the the government to try to to move to a more socialist government? I mean, let's let's just face it, this, John. Ultimately, this was done for power uh, and to reshape the country. And when I'm, I'm when I right. say that, I'm talking about um, the uh, in the Trump uh, spying on the Trump campaign, etc. And I think that history is going to judge us and pretty harshly. I think they're going to judge us as an America that that was complacent. We let our uh, uh, our, our materialist ideas, which I don't, I'm not, conde- I don't condemn that. It's just that that's, right. we get, dis- we get complacent. We just got so complacent. We let people who wanted to submarine our ideals, uh, actually attack those ideals. And I think we're, I think they're going to be somewhat befuddled by it. They'll laugh a little bit about it. At the same time, they'll be, uh, pretty, uh, condemnatory toward us. Yeah, I think that's probably right. When we look back, um, I want to get your thought on just a couple of things that are kind of pending and a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen. Do you see another COVID relief package uh, coming through and how concerned are you by the price tags that are being talked about? Um, uh, I do think that there will be something that comes out. I'm extremely concerned about the price. I, I, I don't think we should um, do any more spending on this. Um, there's still... According to a report recently that I saw, there's still a trillion dollars from the last one that hasn't been um, distributed. Uh, I don't know how accurate that number is, but that it, it was pretty accurate source. So that may be true. And, and if that's the case, and even if it's not the case, the best thing for our country right now is to open up our society, restore freedom, uh, and, and, and instill responsibility with freedom. If we do that, I, I just got to believe that we're going to see um, the economy take off. I think people are going to maintain health. I think we're going to go forward. But if we if we continue to um, spend another couple of trillion, which by the way, John, that's kind of the be the low mark in my opinion, about one point five to two trillion dollars, mm. you're going to be sitting at a G, uh, gross national debt to, to gross national product ratio that is extremely dangerous. Uh, yeah. You know where where you owe far more than, than you can bring in. And, um, yeah, I think we're looking at if, if you add that 1.5 trillion, we'll be pretty close to 30 trillion in debt. Yeah. Uh, and we, we have a, a GDP of what about 22, 23 trillion a year. So we'd be, there'd be a seven, six, seven trillion dollar gap, uh, between what we make in, across the entire U S in a year and what we owe long-term that that's a scary thought for people that are at least accountants and budgeteers for sure. Right. No, absolutely right. And and uh, another set of economists that I was talking to about a month ago said um, they they're projecting a two and a half trillion dollar structural deficit for next year as well. Wow. You add oh. yeah. So you you add that to it. You're you're looking at potentially thirty two, thirty three trillion dollars uh, wow. by the end of next fiscal year in uh, in national debt. And that's you know these these that's things are absolutely bargain. unsustainable and really really have uh, ramifications uh, for our children and our grandchildren. But if, if 
if the interest rates, if for some reason it impacts our sovereign, uh, our, our our currency, we're the national current or the international currency of exchange. If that gets affected in some way seriously, um, you might see an increase in the the cost of the debt that we've been running up, and that cost will begin crowding out virtually everything else in the national uh, budget. That's such a great point. And also at some point when you get that level of debt, interest rates become a real problem, right? Because if you have any bit of inflation, all of a sudden the debt service that the U.S. government has to pay goes up. And so it's uh, it could allow our enemies to, to foist a financial crisis on top of us now that they've foisted a medical crisis on us. Uh, at least certainly China did. Really, really yes. remarkable Really remarkable time. Congressman, I can't thank you enough for all uh, all the time you spent with us today and for bringing us up to speed, particularly on the battle to get our schools open because that is the number one issue as we head into Labor Day. One last question for you. As you look at the election now, I read a lot of things that Republicans are uh, scared out of their wits. They think this is going to be a, a bad election for them. What do you feel about the election, about Trump's re-election chances, about what's going on in the great, you got a great Senate race with uh, McSally uh, in your own home state. How, when you look at this, how's the election going to play out if you if you handicapped it today? Uh, I think President Trump is going to win. I think he's, he's going to win that. I think that we keep the Senate, and I think we come back in the House. I think we take some seats in the House. If we win the majority, it's going to be just by a couple of seats. If we if we don't get it back, it's just going to be by a few seats. I think it's going to be very close in the House. I think there's a lot wow. of races that, that, yeah, I think there's a lot of races people just aren't paying attention to where we've got great candidates um, and we just have to punch through. Um, and, and I mean, we've got a lot of great candidates and we've got a lot of great candidates in, in very difficult districts, but we have great candidates in some districts that um, – that we probably can win. There's a good chance we can win. It's going to be very close. I'll just say that. That's that's fascinating. So what dynamic is it that uh, that makes you more confident than all the gloom and doom that you read in the New York Times every day in Politico? Uh, I know there's been a really great effort on registration by Republicans, right? Pennsylvania, I think uh, Republicans have registered 3x more than Democrats have in new voters. Are there dynamics that the media is missing that you see as a you know someone who's in the game of politics? What, what are the Republicans doing that... Um, uh, the media are missing right now. The pollsters are missing right now. I think I think a couple things. Number one, I think the the messaging is is really clear on the dichotomization of of where we stand. So you've got the you, you really it's not really Republicans versus D anymore. It is now a hard left versus conservatives. And that hard left, when you start uh, pointing out where those people are going, it can be devastating to the Democrats. I mean, uh, tying. Yeah, tying uh, someone like a, uh, like a Ben McAdams to Nancy Pelosi, he's trying to play moderate, yet he votes with Pelosi 90-plus percent of the time, which is, oddly enough, pretty close to where the squad and where they want to get to. So what we're seeing is that messaging uh, resonates. The other thing is what you and I were talking about earlier, and that's this tremendous undercurrent of people who are saying, what's going on? Uh, is, you know, we can't blame everything on Trump. Uh, we, but we can look and see why are people rioting, what's happening, uh, and who is preventing us from, from opening schools, etc. And they're seeing the Democrats' fingerprints all over that. And as they do that, I think, I think it gives, them an, uh, gives us an opportunity if we message this thing right uh, and we work hard to, 
to have much more success than the than the media is uh, willing to acknowledge right now. Wow, that's a, that's an important dynamic. I guess tonight we'll see in the primary too. We've got two squad members in tight um, uh, primary races. We'll see if uh, even in their own party, the far left gets rejected. It'll be an interesting night to watch that. Um, yes. Well, sir, th- thank you for all the time you spent with us. I know our listeners here are deeply grateful, and we'll let you get back to work and hope to have you on again before the election. Yeah, John, thank you so much. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, sir. All right, folks, you've been listening to Congressman Andy Biggs. So grateful he could join us today from the great state of Arizona. We're going to go to a quick commercial break, and we'll wrap things up. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, that wraps it up. What a great show. So glad that my colleague, Seamus Bruner, the great investigative reporter, the guy that knows how to follow the money, from the racial justice movement right to Al Sharpton's very thick wallet, a million dollars thick in 2018. Boy, I didn't know the business of racial justice was that good personally for people. Um, And also, uh, big thanks to Congressman Andy Biggs so much. We covered in such a short period of time. Uh, Boy, this debate over kids going back to school is a big deal. And you can see this playing out in Congress and politics on the election campaign trail. There are clearly two parties, two views, two approaches to COVID-19, and uh, this election will ultimately resolve which one Americans liked best. Was it the Donald Trump Republican approach that you just heard from Congressman Andy Biggs? Is it the Joe Biden Democratic, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and uh, Gretchen Whitmer and all of the Democratic governors? Is it their approach? Gavin Newsom, we can throw in Andrew Cuomo, though I don't think many people want to follow his approach on the nursing homes given the catastrophic deaths that occurred in New York City's and New York's um, nursing home community. But so much to learn from these guys. I'm really grateful that you tuned in and that we had a chance to have these discussions. We're going to be following that money. I think Seamus Bruner dropped a big hint that there may be more revelations about the follow the money trail on Al Sharpton. And we're going to keep a close eye on that as we uh, monitor all that's going on in the world today. On Thursday, we hope to be back. We should have an exclusive interview with a whistleblower who worked for Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Jonathan Fishbein uh, raised some very serious allegations about NIH ethics and research ethics back in the 2004-05 time frame. He was fired. Then Congress went to his rescue. And then he was restored to his job as the chief compliance and ethics officer Inside Fauci's empire, he was actually overseeing a series of aid studies. You may have heard a little bit about this. I broke this story a couple of weeks ago uh, about, the, I call it the Fauci files. Um, there's a lot in Anthony Fauci's background unrelated to COVID-19 that has raised alarm or concern in the past. And Dr. Fishbein is here to talk about that. You don't want to miss that show. We'll be back on Thursday with that, plus a whole lot more uh, from the great investigative reporting at Just the News. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. If you're bored, you're sitting at home, you're waddling through the the tropical storm that's soaking America right now, well, make a quick run by JTNShop.com. That's the new Just the News store. 
We've got great gifts. I just bought these new AirPods from them. They're like one-fifth the price of what I paid for my Apple iPods or AirPods. They work just as great. They're as comfortable in the ears. They've got great sound. If you're looking for a cheaper way to pop in earphones and listen to your music or talk to your family, uh, I think I got them for like $49. It's insane. What a great price. Check out all the things. we still got our book, Fallout. You can still get an autographed copy. It's not too late. And you can join our last session, our last Q&A session. I believe it's coming up later this week. Uh, a couple things to do. There's also lobster if you feel like having a uh, lobster and crab leg uh, dinner at home because you aren't going out to the restaurants this week. And, well, we got that for you as well. So many great items to check out. Clean Phone Pro. I use that all the time, every day. My phone goes in there. I sterilize the germs with the UV light. Makes me feel a lot more comfortable because I spend, as you can imagine, a lot of time like you do on your phones, texting, filing stories, talking to sources. Well, maybe you don't talk to sources, but I do. Uh, I'm so lucky to have that device. It just gives me a peace of mind. I don't worry about any germs when I've set it down on the counter or or carry it with me in the office. So uh, lots of things. Just go to jtnshop.com. That's real easy to remember. jtnshop.com. All sorts of great items. Get a gift for yourself. Get a gift for your family members. Uh, buy some stuff for the officers. Hand sanitizers and masks. We're so lucky to have this store. People are buying from it. And every time you do, a certain percentage of the sales comes back to Just the News to support our reporting, to support this podcast. So little tidbit there. All right. We'll be back on Thursday. Dr. Jonathan Fishbine the whistleblower who blew the whistle on Anthony Fauci a couple of decades ago. He has some strong thoughts about some of the problems that may have persisted back from that era all the way into the COVID-19 crisis we're in now. So you're not going to want to miss that. Plus, we'll have some more scoopy breaking news. I wouldn't be surprised if you heard the name Preet Bahara coming up. Hint, hint. He's that former U.S. attorney in New York. Does a lot of opining on uh, Twitter. Sounds a lot like James Comey. Well, we've got some new news about his office and its conduct. We may have that in time for Thursday. So stay tuned. We'll be right back to you on Thursday. Until then, be safe. Check out JTN Shop. Check out Just the News for your breaking news of the day. And uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Thanks. Thanks.